Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of life with love. And thank you for joining us. I'm Jazz That's Lovey, and we're here tonight to talk about the wonderful world of dating. And aren't we glad we're not in that any freaking more? Good Lord Almighty. <laughs> I never did it very well. And, well, we did it well enough to eventually find each other, banging around in our kind of, you know, <laughs> we found each other eventually. Eventually, yes. And hey, if we'd have found each other sooner, it wouldn't have worked out because we weren't ready. We weren't the people. We weren't ready to become no, we the people. ready. Because there was a quote that I came across trying to summarize kind of the thoughts of tonight's show. And it's a uh, Shannon Adler. One of the greatest regrets is life being in what, life in life is being what others would want you to be rather than being yourself. And as someone who lived with anxiety disorder, who lives, you know, lifetime, you know, you do, you spend your life trying to be this other thing. You don't view it that way. But that's how it is. You spend this life trying to be this other thing, you know, and until you realize that you have to accept that anxiety real part of you, you can't become stronger to it. You can't become who you are because you're trying to become this other thing that society wants you to be, you know, rather than just allowing yourself to be. And yeah, it's part of who you are. But it's also, <laughs> I was watching... Good Lord, I dove into the kind of doing research for the show, trying to find how the show evolves. And right now that I'm starting to feel better and my eyesight's working on getting back, you know, shows like this have to evolve. We never did, you know, the traditional show development, right? It was, you know, we just needed to express love and find love in our daily lives. And, you know, during the time of a year and a half ago, two years ago, it was now, right? Two years, almost two years. Yeah. Yeah, so it was the middle of a campaign season. It was, you know, the, the world had started to go crazy. <laughs> we'll just call it that. The whole pandemic start. And you needed, we needed love in our life. And we wanted to express it and share it. Because, you know, far too many people were expressing um, the negative aspects of life. And so we did the show to make sure we had an outlet to express continue expressing positive but we didn't go through any show development and so i was going on youtube seeing about what kind of stuff works and the, and you know the kind of the relationship advice whatever niche we find ourselves in because we find ourselves and we don't have a niche we're kind of a jack of all trades which is a weakness and a strength because our strength it allows us to not become what apparently you have to do to feed the algorithms because man, we've talked about toxic masculinity, right? Not here, but you know, there's conversations across the culture about toxic masculinity. Well, in the YouTube sphere, if you click the wrong couple, you know, if you click a couple of these things, um, a couple of these, I don't know, dating help men, women, improvement channels, self-improvement channels, you know, dating advice channels, that type of thing there's an undercurrent of feminine, feminine, 
feminine, feminine toxic, toxicity, toxic. I can't say that. Toxicity. Toxicity. Well, it's the male. To- yeah. Anyway, toxic masculinity. Well, it's toxic femininity, right? It's kind of doing the other end. And they're having the same problem. It's they're not being nuanced enough. And it's kind of driving me crazy. And it's not just men. You think that it's just, you know, men kind of complaining about women. Just kind of have women complain about men, you know, kind of the same thing. But it's not. You've got women involved. You've got this whole goofy talking about high value men and high value women and what kind of person are you looking for? A high value. But value isn't necessarily, you know, based upon economic value they get their own strange term of value and there's a lot of judgment in that space and i'm not going to post any of the links like we normally do because i don't want to call any of these individuals out because i don't want to become that but someone will post what i found over the over the weekend over the week was Somebody will post an Instagram, TikTok, or something video complaining about their dating life, right? Or they'll call in, someone will call into a show like this or something, put a post a question about, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'm leaving my husband just essentially because I'm bored. <laughs> We've grown apart. I'm bored and I can do better, you know, and these kind of things. And then the response to it, you know, okay, so that may be a toxic mindset. Or it may not, depending upon the depths of it, right? But they go on, they do exactly the same thing that the people who talk about toxic toxic masculinity do. They paint broad brushes rather than dealing with the individual you're dealing with. Well, women like this. It's like, you know, it's just like saying like men are men are toxic. It's like women are, you know, young, attractive women have a lot of options shall we say right mating options right attractive young women have no problem finding a mating option while uh, attractive but poor young man might have trouble finding dating options or maybe not depending upon <laughs> but that whole toxic nature of the dating atmosphere and these and the reviews of these people who are complaining about their lives and maybe they're true. Maybe these people are complaining about their lives because they've spent their 20s, you know, having a hookup culture. And now they're in their 30s and they want to settle down and no one wants to settle down with them. And they don't know why. Well, part of the reason is you never developed any relationship skills. And so rather than saying, OK, well, let's sit down and develop some relationship skills. Talk about what relationship skills haven't you developed? You know, what are you actually looking for versus what do you think you want versus what do you actually want? You know, because a lot of it is just you're not, you know, when you're 20 and want to have fun, you're looking for something different when you're 30 and wanting a family. And you've got all this baggage from 20 years, you know, from 10 years of, of hookup culture. And now you've wanted to find somebody, a high value man, whatever the hell that means, or a high value partner, pick your side, it doesn't actually matter, a high value partner. And, but you've got, you know, a, a body count of in the twenties or thirties, you know, you, <laughs> and now what are you going to do? You know, well, you have to find somebody else who has a body count in the twenties or thirties and, but is also ready to move on. Right. You, you can't be judgmental. 
but we live in a judgmental time and it's a toxic thing. And I'm just glad we don't do that. Just these kind of the negative reviews of these things. I mean, we should probably do them. I oddly enough, we should probably sit down and do some of these reviews. I'll have to send you some, okay. but figure out a way to do it, you know, from a different aspect, not where we're necessarily defending them, but where we're looking for positive ways for change, not just say, Hey, look at this. Ha ha ha. Avoid this type of women or look at this. These guys are toxic. Avoid these type of people. Well, okay. But how do we help these people not become toxic? That's what we should be doing. Not just telling people to avoid these people. We should be helping these people not to become toxic, help these people to, to figure out, okay, what's wrong with your mindset that you keep making these type of mistakes, these simplistic mistakes. But instead we've gone to, it's like Twitter culture in YouTube, you know, dating self-help. No wonder dating sucks. The people who you're turning to, to help you become better bachelors. Oh, I just mentioned one of the YouTubers, but <laughs> sorry, but you know, you've got become better single people, better men, better women, but they're not actually helping them become better people. They're just telling you who to avoid. They're not telling you how to become a better you. They're just saying, avoid these type of people. And you're not helping the dating situation. You're actually part of the problem. Those kinds of people are actually part of the problem. Because by pointing out, laughing at them and criticizing them doesn't help. Okay, maybe it helps someone not date that kind of a person, but, you know, those people have value. You know, if you dig beneath the superficial, if you couldn't get beneath the superficial uh, scabs that they've built from uh, over the course of, you know, their lives, they're genuine human beings in there with caring and empathy. You just don't know how to access it. And rather than help people change their attitude, you point and laugh at them and say, avoid them. And it's the toxic culture. And it's just, I'm glad we don't do that. But at the same time, that's what the YouTube algorithms want. And so I, I you know, how do people who genuinely entered into the space wanting to help people, but if the algorithms and you know feed this kind of toxic because you know i only clicked on two and next thing you know my you know the suggestion is filled with them and it's filled with this continually the same mindset over and over and over again and you can go you can click on the other side and find the 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 people who complain about toxic masculinity it's just as easy but Where's the balance? I couldn't find the balance. I couldn't find other people like us trying to find a more balanced approach. I'm, I'm sure they're out there. It's just for whatever reason, they don't, they're probably not very good at marketing because they're too honest and too genuine. And the people who are good at marketing say, well, this is what the algorithm rewards. So that's what I'm going to do. And it becomes a self-fulfilling thing. You can't even blame anybody for it because, you know, these people are trying to make a living. 
and you genuinely want to help, but you know, it becomes this thing or in order to make a living, you have to feed the algorithms in order to feed the algorithms. You have to do certain things and behave certain ways and put up certain kind of content and phrase the <laughs> phrase, the titles a certain way. And, you know, toxic drama is, you know, more instantly appealing than nuanced conversation. But nuanced conversation, as proven by people like Joe Rogan, have more staying power. You have more depth. Anyway, it's just, I don't know. It's, you know, we're trying to we do into the dating advice thing, into the, you know, the dating improvement, human improvement, self-help type thing. And it's like, man, it's just a toxic atmosphere. It's like, how do you do that without becoming toxic? And I don't know. Maybe stay on our jack of all trades type of thing and just become better at marketing. <laughs> I don't know. That just because I don't want to become that. It's the same. It's the same thing. It's the same reason I don't do all politics. It's the same reason I have this. You know, it's because if you put jump all into that sphere, into that niche. Yes, you'll have more opportunity to be successful, but you also have more opportunity to lose your soul. And, and I don't want to lose my soul. I don't want to risk that. I didn't come here to do this to lose my soul. I came here to expand it, to become a better human being, not become a worse human being. So I don't know. <coughs> forgetting how to drink again over there <coughs> yes i am all right it's just it's just so strange you know it's just i just don't know what to do with it as you try to become successful on youtube you have to essentially become toxic or become unhelpful just you know, I could sit here and just spew word salad like the first five minutes where I was trying to kind of gather my thoughts. Do you have to become toxic or, you know, your what instructional videos and we're not instructional videos. We don't do unboxing videos. We don't do, you know, meaningless fun. And there's nothing wrong with meaningless fun, right? But bubblegum is perfectly fine. It's just not what we do. You know, I'm not one of those who complains about, <laughs> you know, light entertainment. Light entertainment's great. I have no problems with it. It's just not what we do. So, I don't know. I don't know. Having to move forward without losing your soul. I don't know. So, you know, and it's a question. Why would modern women, why would people waste their time? You know, a lot of people feel like, you know, modern dating is just a complete waste of time because, you know, is it because they don't know what they want to get out of it or it's because they don't know how to have a relationship? And at this stage, I'm old enough where I can say it's, you know, my generation's fault, whether my family and their, you know, participates in that type of thing is not really relevant. It's my generation's fault. I'm 50. 
So those kids are, these are the kids who are in their 20s and 30s. It's my generation. We raised them. What do we do? What do we do wrong? And it's not it's to blame myself. It's not sitting there to self-flag us to, about what we did wrong. It's so we can help them make different mistakes. <laughs> because we can help them not make those. They're just going to make different ones. You know, it's just the way the world works, right? It, it's just parents make mistakes and generations make mistakes. They all do. You know, you do the best you can. Problem is, you know, you're raising kids for how the world is now, not how it is when they're going to be adults, because you don't know how the hell it's going to be like when they're adult. Of course, the problem is how you raise them is part of what makes the world the way <laughs> the, it is. Kind of be, it's a it's a devil brew, witches brew, but you know it's our responsibility, and so it's our responsibility to help them. It's our responsibility to say, okay, we we help screw up this generation. It's it's our responsibility to help them help themselves through through it. We can't hold their hands through it. That's not what we can do, but we can offer, we can offer guidance. We can offer support. We cannot be the information booth. So yeah, okay, when we did this, X, Y, and Z's happened. You know, I mean it's true, the world is different today. The equation is different, but you know, you should still take that to mind. There's reasons past generations you know, didn't engage in hookup culture as much as they do now. There's valid reasons for it. There's reasons to caution against it. Emotional reasons, health reasons, all kinds of things. You know, you know, intimacy is emotional. And if you have 20, 30 different emotional engagements over the course of you know five six ten years you know that none of that all of that can't be unemotional there's cost to that maybe the cost is worth it maybe not that's not for me to judge but you should weigh them or at least estimate them as best you can you know? Just saying, you know, you don't have to be judgmental about saying that, you know, it's hookup culture is dangerous to your physical and emotional being. It does not necessarily mean that I'm going to judge you for it. Just saying you should be careful in engaging in that type of culture because it can be dangerous to your emotional and physical well-being. So, yeah, anyway. All right. Well, let's move on. Talk about moving on. So, as the world walks around, we've uh, kind of everybody's kind of become tired of of, uh, of the disease that cannot be named, right? It's not hitting me. Stick <laughs> of of that thing that cannot be named. Like we've kind of moved on to it. Lots of people have moved on to it, moved on from it. But yet, I still go to the outdoor ATM over here, and there's still people wearing their masks. You go to the grocery, the grocery store. store. People wearing masks. There's still people wearing masks, and and I say, okay, I'm not that afraid, but other people are, and I'm okay with it. You know, I don't judge them for it. But at some point, you know. 
life has always been kind of dangerous. You're always have been at the, you know, touching something, breathing something, coming in contact with the wrong person. Lord knows, you know. How you got hepatitis B? Still, we still don't know. Still don't know. And so, you know, you always kind of have that anvil sitting over your head. It's just we don't know about it. You know, we don't think about it. We don't think about the flu. You can die from the flu. Anybody can. You know, mostly because you're not paying attention and you end up giving yourself pneumonia and that kind of thing. But so it's not that it's not dangerous. It's that at some point you have to put this into, you know, the equation of, okay, it's an ordinary danger. Like we get into our car and drive, even though that's dangerous. You know, we put on skis and ski down mountains, even though that's dangerous. Jump out of airplanes. Fly in an airplane. <laughs> you know, pick your activity. You know, there's lots of dangerous activities. Rock climbing, mountain climbing. Um, you know, Jesus, the people who the most dangerous job in the in the in the world is like fishermen and loggers. Commercial commercial fishermen and loggers, right? Because there's only so many safety things you can do. Unexpected things happen. You know, in the open seas and in a forest full of trees with trees falling down, you know, branches break off, land on people, and that's how people get hurt. And, you know, oddly enough, logging drivers are have a dangerous occupation as well because you're taking this big, heavy load of logs down, you know, barely passable dirt roads. <laughs> and so, you know, but yet, People do this every day. We accept these dangers every day. There's people who work in hazmat and people who work in dangerous laboratories and they take dangerous, you know, they take in, you know, dangers are a routine aspect of life. But how do you transfer? We've spent two years kind of huddled in your house, you know, lots of people taking extreme measures. And if your anxiety, it can run the gamut, right? You can become so anxiety ridden and afraid of the germs that, you know, you become OCD about it. Or you can be like me, you put on the mask and the mask drives your anxiety. So, you know, it can run the gamut. So you've got 20% of the people who in some ways likely bouncing their anxiety off the walls, right? Because they don't have access to the normal routine. They're either got the afraid of the germs, the ever present <laughs> fear of the germs and death or the mitigation aspects is clicking up some anxiety, you know, having to wear a mask all the time or having to, you know, show a freaking vaccine passport to enter a building and, you know, whatever, all these extra tools are also anxiety ridden events. And so for those of us who's, uh, you know, like for me, it's a relief to not have to wear a mask, but if you're somebody on the other side of the spectrum, who's afraid of the germs and, and has severe anxiety based upon that. You know, you're having a vastly different experience right now than I am. Right now, instead of feeling relief, you're actually more anxious than you were, say, a year ago, when you knew what to expect, what to do, even though you necessarily didn't. But at least you had a theoretical plan, right? Here's what I do to protect myself. 
you know, and whether it was protecting yourself or not, at least it was comforting. You know, you had steps to go through and that's comforting for people. And I can get that. And that's why I get that people still want to wear masks. It's just at some point you're going to have to get out the fear. You're going to have to step outside that fear and return to normal life because you can't live like that forever. It's, it's going to eat at your immune system. It's going to eat at your, to your mental health. Yeah. So what do you do? Some people will need help. Well, lots of people need help. Um, I was talking to a therapist and, you know, the requests for therapy have shot up double at least. And so you're having people who, you know, didn't used to have emotional problems are now dealing with emotional problems. You used to have people who are dealing with emotional problems are now dealing with mental health problems and people with who are dealing with mental health problems are now dealing with more severe mental health problems and a, and a lack of access because you now have competition for the limited healthcare slots, the limited mental health slots. So, you know, counselors and coaches, life coaches, you know, even a simple life coach, just someone to talk to, <laughs> someone to bounce your ideas off of, <laughs> you know, a priest, anybody. I went to a nun one time. Hey, you know, when you're desperate, you know, anybody who was kind and willing to listen is, is a line of relief, right? It's a lifeline. And there are lots of people who, when you're desperate, you know, we've talked about, you know, you know suicide hotlines, but there's mental health hotlines now, you know, that's the good thing about the modern age, you know, the internet, there's, there's an app for that. There's quite literally an app for that. So, and it's not that expensive now. You know, if you, so reach out to people, you know, search mental health hotline and they'll give you the national number or the number in your area and reach out to, to aspects because a lot of people think it's weak to reach out for help, but it's actually strength. And it's not feeding anybody some, you know, hippy dipsy goofer number. It's, it's strength. Because you know how hard it is? It's really freaking hard. <laughs> to reach out to people you don't know, to reach out and call a number. It, if it was easy, people would be doing it all the time. It's freaking hard. It's hard because you tell yourself it's weak. You know, it, it, for whatever reason, we fight it. That second person inside of us, you know, fights it because you're afraid of rejection. And you're afraid of getting turned out from the tribe. But the tribe isn't going to turn you away. That tribe won't turn you away. The nice thing about the modern age is we have many tribes. And one tribe turns you away. There's another one that will welcome you with open arms. And so you can find your tribe. You know, we're no longer limited to what you can walk to. Yeah. You can connect with people around the world in an instant. You know, your tribe doesn't have to be physically around you. 
Find your tribe. They exist. They'll help you become a better you. And we'll move on. All right. So what we got? Are you uh, hanging out with us tonight or are you going off to take your I'm break? I'm going to take my break. All right. Oh, now I gotta, you'll just keep you for this next one. Let's see. I got to find one. Go down to the bottom. Uh, that's bipolar. Oh, here we go. My mom is 75% Jamaican and 25% Chinese. My dad is 50% white and 50% Portuguese. What am I? You're human. That's what you are. You know, as someone who's raised in an interracial family and uh, whose children and grandchildren are even more interracial, you know, our uh, families extend the globe quite literally. And, uh, you know, at some point we have to accept that what we are is human. And sure, we all have unique ethnic backgrounds and our backgrounds have their own unique histories, you know, unique tragedies, triumphs and horrors. And we want to learn that not to place blame, but so we can avoid it in the future. And we avoid that in the future by accepting that we're all human. You know, what we all share is our humanity. You know, regardless of who you are, or what you want to be, you know, whether, you know, the topics of the day, whether you're transgender or man, woman, not, non-binary, other, it doesn't matter. What we all are underneath all that is human. You know, I'm human. The lovey, lovey's human. You know, we're all human. And the background, the ethnic background of our forefathers is relevant in our personal stories, but it's not relevant in our humanity. And, you know, we learn history to prevent the bad things and repeat the good things, not to place blame. So how do you deal with it? You teach them the personal histories, but you also teach them that it's humanity. They are people of the world. They are humans. Before, they are Jamaican, Chinese, <laughs> the laundry list of things, you know, before, you know, they are human before they are Jamaican, Chinese, Portuguese, and white, European, right? That's human. That's all that is. And when our societies and cultures can reach that point. You know, a lot of this division can start to be focused on something else. Maybe things that are more important than our superficial looks and our uh, distinct histories. We can start looking forward instead of back. But we're not there yet. Okay. So what we got? 
My dad is 57 and I'm 12. It's, and it's embarrassing to tell my friends at school my dad's age while their parents are in their 20s and 30s. And my dad's still a fairly normal age to be a father. Well, he, yeah, he's on the older side, but it's not unusual. Uh, he's not 70. And the new father. No, he was 45. Yeah, yeah, a little later, but it's on the it you know it's it's probably on the edge of what we would call normal, but there's no such thing as normal, especially here in these here United States. It's now feeling embarrassed as a twelve year old feeling embarrassed because your family is different than other families is actually quite normal. It's not that your father's old; it's that your father's different. But, you know, it's not a, it is neither good nor bad. It is neither normal or unnormal. It just is. As you become older and you get past the 12 thing and you get into 16, 17, it won't matter anymore. It's your age. You know, you're noticing that your family's different and you're worried about being different. All families are different. And at this age, it's 12 is when you notice those differences. So... Instead of looking for what's different in your family, look at what's different in other people's family. And, you know, enjoy the differences. Diversity is a strength, my friend. Diversity is a strength. But these kind of, these feelings are perfectly normal. You'll go through it, and it just is what it is. And I know that's not very comforting for a 12-year-old, but that's... Kind of the, exactly the same thing I tell my kids at that 12-year-old. So, you know, you're getting the same kind of answer. It's just, just is what it is. You'll adjust. Well, actually, what you'll do is you'll realize it's not important and you'll just, you won't think about it anymore. But, <laughs> but I don't want to tell you that. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what else? My OCD got really bad last year and I developed a phobia of food. I thought all food was contaminated and eventually had to be fed intravenously due to not eating. Recently, I've relapsed and stopped eating again. Should I be concerned? Uh, yes. You should go seek help right now. You should talk to your doctor right now before it becomes worse. Eating disorders, eating problems, and OCD problems are bad whichever way it goes, whether it's, you know, distasteful of food or, you know, whether you have an unhealthy relationship with food, let's put it this way, is bad whichever way it goes. And not eating is actually worse than overeating. Because, you you know, if you overeat and, and then you have to go on a diet or something, you've got stores to work from. But you've got a habit of not eating enough. And so my guess is you don't have fat to burn. And so what's going to happen is your body's going to eat your organs faster. Let's be real. That's what happens. Once it no longer has fat to burn, it starts eating your organs and your muscles. You know, it's got to keep your brain alive. That's what it protects. But, you know... Do you have to deal with it? Do you really want, I mean, do you, what else are you going to do? Do you really want to go back to being fed intravenously? 
Is that what you want to do? That's your other choice. You've been down this road before, right? You know where it's going to go. So now is the time to get help, not later. As for someone who comes from someone who waits way too freaking long as a habit, it's not a good habit to have. You know, it's not. And I do it, so I understand it. You know, I understand. I resemble this remark, you know, not over food, but over getting, seeking help in health in healthcare when I should. You know, I resemble this remark. And all you can do is seek the help you need. You know you need it. And in fact, you know you need to, which is why you reached out to somebody to tell you no. You're just hoping someone tells you no. You don't have to. What we're going to tell you is, no, seek the help you know you need. You know you need it. Or she wouldn't have asked the question. That's the truth. Okay. What else we got? Before marriage, I agreed with my partner not wanting kids, thinking he will change his mind later. I skipped birth control and got pregnant. My husband is demanding a divorce. At any cost, I won't abort, nor will I let him go. How do I force him to stay? Well, you can't. One, it's not actually about the child. It's about the dishonesty. Because if you'd have gotten pregnant, you know, if you'd have been still taking your pill and, and gotten pregnant anyway, you know, things like that happen. Trust me, I know. You know, birth control isn't 100%. I'll say. I got a phone, baby. <laughs> but... But the fact is, you were dishonest with him, and so he can no longer trust you. And how do you get him to stay? Don't know you can. How do you break? How do you build back that trust? I mean, for one, if someone tells you they don't want children, you have to believe them. This notion that, oh, he'll change their mind later, maybe, maybe not. And you have to prepare yourself for the maybe not. So you went into this whole marriage with a dishonest mindset. And you're wondering why it collapsed. And I can understand the desire to have a child. I get it. But you should have had the conversation. And if it was a deal breaker, then it's a deal breaker. And you move on. Because that's what people do. Now you've got this big broken mess that you need to clean up with a child along the way. And it might not be able to be cleaned up. Best thing to do right now is to relieve the pressure. You know, you want to slow walk the, the divorce. Okay. It's probably not the world's greatest idea, but okay. But relieve the pressure. Because the only way you're going to get him back is to rebuild the trust. And you're not going to rebuild the trust with games and strategies and all of that. You're going to have to rebuild the trust with first by getting in touch with yourself, becoming honest with yourself, and then becoming honest with him over the course of time. You may have to get a divorce. And if you really want to get married again later, you may have to go that far. Because, you know, 
having an unwanted child happens. People get over it and they become, you know, good parents. The loss of trust, people have a harder time getting over. So that's just sad. I'm sorry. Man, I really am. That's a sad one, yes. Okay. My son is six years old and he keeps asking his dad to take a shower with him. When is it too old to take a shower with my son? Well, there's, when is it too old? I don't know. That's an individual answer. Six is probably not too old. But, you know, my guess would be when he's old enough to take a shower by himself. I mean, it's just a, it's just a body. Right. It's just human bodies. He sees it. You know, the human body shouldn't be a, a, a mystery. You don't want them to be ashamed or mystified of their body. Now, I get it. There comes an age where it's creepy and you just, you know, and if you're feeling creeped out, then it's that's the age. Right. That's the age you figure something else out. So maybe for you, this is the age. Maybe six is about the age for you. Other people, it's later, you know, and that's fine. But, you know, for me, it was when they're old enough to take a shower by themselves. You know, of course, we live in California where water rationing is a thing. And, you know, you, one of the ways to conserve water is to shower with your children when they're young. Not when they're older, but when they're young. Well, actually, technically, you both get in the shower, you water down the kids, you wash them, you hand them, you hand them to the other parent, and then you take your shower. It's actually what happens. But, <laughs> but <laughs> get them done real quick so you can actually take a real shower. Right? It's, in this house, with all these kids, efficiency overcomes everything else. So get them done and out. And if you're actually that uncomfortable, if you're like me, you'll go in there with a pair of short, short swimming shorts on and shower them and, and then finish your shower if they're old, if they reach the age where it starts to feel weird. You know, it's you. If you're starting to feel weird, it's about the time for you to figure something else out. But, you know, six isn't unusual. Yeah. So that's where I'd leave it, you know. All right. What should I do as a dad? My daughter told me she wants to move back into my house because she lost her job due to layoff in COVID-19 uncertainty. Should I allow her to come back? Job search could be two to three years. She's 23, an engineer. Okay. Why would a job search for an engineer be two to three years? Um, it may be two to three years before she can rebuild herself and get back on on foot you know depending upon her credit situation and all that kind of stuff you know she may have bills to pay off and all that kind of thing the question be becomes should you i don't know that's up to you you know are you you prepared for it you know is she a good house guest <laughs> you know there's all this various thing can you can you afford it do you have space is you know now me personally I probably would if I had room, but that's based upon my children. And, you know, she's, she's an engineer. She's 23 and an engineer. She's not a loafer, clearly. 
So why wouldn't you? Do you want her living in her car? I mean, because we live in California and, and that's the happen. If, if she's living in her car, what's the chance of her getting a job? You know, if she's having to apply for jobs on her phone, look for jobs on her phone instead of a computer. It's, you know, while it's possible, it's much easier to do it on a full-size computer. It's just, I don't know. I don't know if you should, but I would. Strongly consider it. <laughs> Let me put it that way. You know, now, if you live in a two-bedroom house and your other second bedroom's your office and that's where you run your business from and you don't have the space, then you don't have the space. But if you're in a four-bedroom house, it's just you and your wife and, you know, and two of the bedrooms are empty because your kids have left and you haven't opened them in a year, well, maybe you should. What would you want to have happen? you were 23 you just lost your job and you're looking for some place to regain your feet in the modern world this isn't the 60s and 70s you know you haven't built studio apartments in 30 years now maybe you should argue that she should take something lower why she looks for something an engineering job okay that's a conversation you can have Yeah. She's an engineer. She could probably get a job managing, you know, a gas station or working at a grocery store or something Why she tries to find her engineer job, you know, part-time. Make sure she's, if you really want to do that, that's fine. Just find a solution because what's going to happen if you don't? Just think about that one. Okay. This one makes me mad. My husband sent my seven-year-old stepson to boarding school because I dislike him. However, he comes back for a month during vacation. How can I limit his vacation time as much as possible? How about you go on vacation while he's gone, while he's at home? Because quite frankly, now, maybe... There's a reason. Right? Maybe he's a troubled child and is acting out because his parents are split up. And, you know, of course, sending them to boarding school isn't likely to help. But maybe. But, you know, asking your spouse to send their stepson to boarding school because you dislike them, even though I didn't say you asked. Yeah, I just can't imagine. Neither can I. But... You know, we know people who have had to send their children away to boarding school because they were just, you know, didn't know what else to do with them. Right? Unfortunately. And, you know, they turned out to be fine people, you know, and their relationship is, as adults is perfectly fine. You know, it didn't harm their long-term family relationships. And so, you know, sometimes it works. And, you know, but if it's just because you dislike them and he's not some otherwise a ne'er-do-well or malcontent or, or some other, you know, if you're the reason he went to boarding school, you should be ashamed of yourself. Really? Just, you're in a freaking adult. 
You can't learn to live with someone you dislike. I get it if it, there's a drug problem or a causes issue all the times, and I, I can get it. You know, if there's an extreme disruption to the family, I can get having the child sent off to boarding school. I can get it. But because the step parent dislikes them, well, sorry, but on that one, the child is not the one getting booted from the house. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Uh, you know, so I'm going to, that's, that's the only reason I'm coming to throw in these caveats is because I can't imagine why, why you choose a spouse over a child, you know, a step parent over a child. I just can't imagine it. So maybe it's just inartly phrasing something. This child is a disruption to the family. I couldn't take it anymore. And so his father decided to send him to boarding school. That's actually a different thing, right? That's a different way to phrase it, you know? Yes, but I would have tried counseling first. Maybe they did. All types of things. I just, maybe, sending a child away. I don't, oh, maybe they God. did. I, it doesn't sound like they did because of the way it's phrased. Uh, but maybe I'm going to, but for the sake of benefit of the doubt, let's say they've gone through all that. And what she's just done is inartly phrased it. Okay. Now, I don't think so, because I think if you go through the process, you're phrasing it differently. But for the sake of argument, I can see how you can get there. Right? We can all see a child who, you know, routinely breaks into people's houses, <laughs> you know, doesn't go to school. You know, causes fires. Yeah, or... <laughs> but even if, if you had had a child like that, I wouldn't have put you in that position. I, if I couldn't take it, I would have left. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. So that's all I'm saying. There is that one caveat that there is an actual thing where it makes more sense, but she's just phrasing it inartfully if I want to give her a benefit of the doubt. But, I frankly, I think you should, be, if you asked your child simply because you dislike him not because he was a massive disruption because i still think that you actually say this is a massive disruption to the family you, you mentioned what it is right in some way rather than i just dislike them you know me and my stepfather didn't get along but good lord i don't think they're ever talking to me about sending me to boarding school well maybe they did talk about going to military nah, it was just they were really gonna send me to military school <laughs> oh, you would have just blossomed. Uh, yeah, I would have escaped is what would have happened. <laughs> All right, so can't keep me in, fuckers. All right, so what do you got? My daughter won't let me inside her apartment. When I asked her why, she said I had no reason to. How do I make her understand that as her mother, there is no reason why I shouldn't be allowed inside? Dude. You are just barking up the wrong tree. Well, you, the fact is, your attitude is why you can't go in. Now, maybe she's got a mess. You know, maybe she's cooking meth. Who knows? But, <laughs> but the reality is, my guess is she's just drawing boundaries because you have a trouble accepting them. 
not saying how old this kid is, but I'm thinking she just got her first apartment and it's hers and she wants to establish boundaries with her mother. Maybe it's a mess. There's, it's, you know, maybe, maybe it's just a mess. There's pizza boxes everywhere. And she just don't want to hear she shit. She want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. She just don't want to hear about it. But, or maybe you're kind of an overbearing helicopter parent and she's drawing boundaries because no, this is my space and you're going to leave me the freak alone finally. It's one space where you don't get to intervene. Maybe she's sending you a signal that, you know, it's time for you to have a different relationship with your daughter. It's time to have a, you know, an adult relationship with your daughter and not a mother-daughter relationship with your daughter. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's a difficult switch, right? It is a difficult switch. Because you spent 18, 18, 20 years, you know, being one thing. And now all of a sudden you've got to be something else. And sometimes you're still raising other children. And so it's a hard switch to make, but it's time to do it. You get to be cheerleader. That's your job. Yeah. You know, take a different attitude and she'll let you back inside. Yep. Stop asking and she'll let you. All right. My son, this is so sad. My son gets a slip <laughs> home every day from his teacher that needs to be signed because he gets in trouble. Should I sit in on his class for a day? Hey. No, you should take him out of class. Get him out of class and get him into an educational environment that better suits him. It's the wrong environment. Kids only get in trouble like that because they, they're in the wrong learning environment. That's it. Whether it's whether they have an anxiety disorder and they can't deal with all the noise, you know, whether it's the teacher or the classroom or whatever it is, something is act, and the only way to do it is sitting in to figure out, okay, what's the problem? It's just going to tell you what the problem is. It is going to tell you what the problem is, maybe. But you don't need to sit in. Just ask them. He'll tell you. You may have to sit there and listen to a bunch of nonsense before you get to it. But he'll tell you. But my guess is it's just the wrong learning environment. Get him in one that's suited for him. Yeah, not everybody's suited for traditional schools. So, yeah, that's all. And he doesn't say he's getting suspended. So what kind of trouble he's getting? To. I'm suspecting it's like anxiety and something. And with all the masking and unmasking and all, it's I, my guess is it's a, something like that. But, yeah, he got to spend the last couple of years in an educational environment that was more suited to him. And now he's got to go back into a classroom environment that's not. And he's rebelling against it. Find a different solution. Okay. My parents say that I'm absolutely not allowed to discuss <laughs> my childhood with my therapist. I want to be respectful for the rest for their wishes, but I don't trust them. What should I do? Um, your relationship with your therapist is with your therapist. Uh -huh. You tell your you tell your parents to go pound sand. Or especially, yeah, sure. Okay. And then you just go tell your therapist whatever you want to tell your therapist. It, it, your therapist isn't going to go call and tell them. You know, now if you're a child and there was some child abuse or something going on, your therapist may, depending upon your state, be required by law to, to turn them in. But, well, maybe they should have behaved better. You know, I don't know. And so maybe that is something you have to, you know, discuss and decide if you want to go down that road. I want you to discuss. So be, be careful how you discuss it. But if you're an adult and you can just 
discuss whatever you want without potential consequences, those kind of consequences. That's the that's the beauty of counseling. You get to say whatever you want. Yeah, and the fact is that you don't trust the me's. Those are the conversations you need to have with your therapist. Yeah, I you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Delve into this issue. That's exactly the stuff you need to be talking to your therapist about. <laughs> I don't trust my therapist. Yeah. yeah the, the, Let's the, talk about that. Yeah, that's the stuff you need to be talking about. Yeah. So tell your parents to pound sand on that one. Yeah. Well, don't tell them to pound sand, really. Yeah, just, just tell them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just do tell them, yeah, yeah, tell them, yeah, 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 do what you want. You're an adult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And even if you're not, if they're doing stuff, they, you know, I'd do it anyway. And, you know, consequences be damned because. Yeah, it, that's, it, that's their problem. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, you know, you have to, it's not an consequences for you. You have to deal with the legal system and all that stuff as well. So, you know, I. You, know, you may want to be careful how you phrase things if you're still a, if you're still a child. But anyway, talk to your therapist about it. That's what they're there for. <laughs> Quite literally. Okay. Should I leave my job seeing that my fellow co-workers are being promoted? We've been here for a year. We've been here for a year and I feel I work very hard, but they're the ones moving up the ladder. <sighs> well, did you ask yourself why they're moving up the ladder? And you're not hard work isn't the only reason you're going to get moved up a ladder. You know, is your work competent? Okay. Are you a, but when normally when you move up, you have to have this thing called leadership skills. Have you improved your leadership skills, your interpersonal skills? You know, getting promoted isn't just about knowing your job, right? It's the soft skills as the higher up you go, the softer skills become more important. The interpersonal skills, the leadership skills become more and more important. And so, you know, improve yourself in that area and you'll see what happens. Okay. So we can get through these last couple. I did this. You did the other one. We only have one more. Okay. Do you believe individuals who suffer from things such as hypersensitivity, high functioning, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, et cetera, have a harder time dealing with heartbreak, rejection, and breakups than the average person? I think it's different. I don't know. I don't know if it's harder. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know what the other person's experiences are, so I can't tell you if it's harder or not. Um, as someone with anxiety, I would, you know, you kind of want to instinctively say yes, but rationally, I'd say no, it's just different. Our experiences is just different. It's not harder or easier. It's just different. You know, everybody has their, you know, what is it the, the Christians say? Everybody has their cross to bear, right? We all have those, the baggage from our lives that we have to carry around. And, uh, you know, that's what it is. And your baggage is different than mine. And an average person who doesn't exist, <laughs> there is no average person. Can we be honest? There's no such thing. But, you know, most people, when they deal with heartbreak, have a very difficult time. Regardless of whether you're bipolar or anxiety-ridden or normal. Because it's a trauma. You know, it's like being stabbed in your emotions. 
you know, it's fundamentally, it's not much different than being stabbed, you know, in your stomach, except that you're not bleeding externally, you're bleeding emotionally. And what do you do with that? You heal. You heal the best you can. Yeah. Sometimes it's a Band-Aid. You know? <laughs> a gallon of ice cream. <laughs> Here, you know, sometimes you just wait. We all have our different paths through it. We all have our different tools we use on the journey. But we all take that journey. Some of us are better at it than others. You know, some from experience, from learning. Some of us are more hard-headed than others. It takes more time to learn. <laughs> I resemble that remark. <laughs> so, you know, but it doesn't make it easier or harder. It just makes it mine. Our journeys are what make us unique. And that's uniqueness makes us us. You know, we are accumulation of ourselves and our journey. If you find someone that loves that, hold on to it. Don't toss it away because you're bored. Yeah. Maybe become a more exciting person. You know, if you're bored, don't blame your partner. Maybe you're the one who's bored. (laughs) (laughs) So for me and Lovey, we want to thank you for joining us. We want to remind you to love yourselves and love everybody. Good night.